I'm all relaxed and refreshed after my uh, siesta from Serie A. Well, and we're back with another edition of Serie A Sit Down, World Football Index's podcast of Calcio at the highest level and told like it is. I'm Frank Crivello, your host, uh, the man that uh, keeps on working and did not take a break over the international break, co-host Richard Carmen. Ciao, Richard. <laughs> Ciao, Frank. How are we doing? We're doing all right. Uh, you know, nice work on the interview with James Rowe uh, last week. I enjoyed it. By the way, that's still on. That's that's on our. Um, uh, if you didn't if you didn't catch us last week, um, uh, Richard had a uh, interview with James Rowe discussing uh, players that uh, uh, played in Serie A, um, uh, and then uh, got into some other details. Uh, breakdown for people. Give people a little bit of a. Uh, uh, a sneak preview if they want to go back into the archives and uh, dig that one up. Yeah, so we talked a little bit about uh, the smaller clubs of City um, Empoli, one of Empoli's young players, uh, Jakob Rasmussen. He's uh, currently on loan. Uh, technically, actually, he's with Fiorentina now, but he's back on loan with Empoli for the rest of the season. So we talked about him a little bit. Uh, we went to Sassuolo, talked about Timo Leschert, who is actually on loan with Utrecht at the moment. But um, yeah, it's, a, it's another young uh, Dutch player that uh, Sassuolo has in their ranks. He seems really happy with the team. Uh, he's hoping to come back with the with the with the parent club, and then uh, we talked about how really James Rowe has been sp- been uh, following uh, Martin Derun of Atalanta since 2010, I think he he said so. Uh, quite a long time that he's been he's been following him. So uh, you know, good on him that he's kind of got that one right. And, and and it seems like Martin Derun has become a player that everyone wants now, especially the big dogs of Serie A. So we talked about that as well, and then we uh, we looked at. Uh, Young players in Europe and specifically in, in the Netherlands that could have an impact in Syria. And he mentioned a player, a big time player that uh, all the big teams in, in the world are looking at that could be, uh, could make a splash in Juventus. So, uh, that was, it was a fun conversation with James Rowe. I feel like we could have talked all, all day, but, um, yeah, we, we try to wrap it up in 30, 40 minutes. So it's, it's a good listen. Yeah, definitely give it a listen. It's on our, uh, um, it's on our uh, iTunes channel, on our SoundCloud channel, anywhere where you can find Serie A Sit Down, uh, you can find that in the archive. So uh, uh, do check that out. Uh, we're going to jump into um, uh, what took place here on uh, Match Week 29 as we're really getting into the business end of the Serie A season. Uh, we had three games that um, uh, we're, are, are helping to shape what's going to go on as far as the uh, chase for the European places. Um, but before we do that, Richard, let's just quick touch on the Yatsuri, uh, uh 2-0 win over Finland and then a 6-0 win over Liechtenstein. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that it was uh, you know written in the stars that Italy were going to come away with uh, six points, but um, overall impressions of the Yatsuri in uh, your opinion from those two games? Yeah, um, uh, I was fortunate this past week also to go on podcast Syria. We talked about the Azuri, and I told them on the show that you know my rating. You know, while it looks great, we scored eight goals in two games, right? It's you have to look at who we played. It's Finland and Liechtenstein, right? So I said that you know while those are two clubs or two teams, two countries that are not very high on on, uh, on the list of strong teams. The fact that the Azuri scored goals was was big for me. It's, it's something we haven't seen really in a long time. When like, you know, in the past, when we thought they should have blown out some teams, they did not, and, the, and then they did with the youngsters. And this this uh, this this past go around, so you know, based out of ten, I give them seven out of ten. I think it's uh it's not quite enough to good enough to give them an eight or nine or a ten, but there were goals there, and it's something we hadn't seen before. So it's a lot of optimism there for me. So that's why I gave it a seven. 
Hey, you're 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 always difficult to impress, though. I, you know that's just you know that's just how you what roll. What can I say? I, what can I say? I'll give him an eight. I thought you know, hey, goals from a, from the Azzurri. It's it's nice to see, even if it is Finland and Liechtenstein. Um, you know, you have a player here in Moise Ken who scored in each oh, game. Yeah. You'd like to see that. Um, it was nice to see Fabio Quagliarella get his opportunity, albeit against Liechtenstein, but to, uh, you know, be allowed to be, you know, be back into the team and score a couple of goals. Uh, would have liked to have seen him complete his hat trick. Pity that he didn't get there. Um, you know, so in those respects, it was good. You got some more repetition for the midfield three of, um, uh, Verratti, Jorginho, and Barella, who I think are still going to be the uh, midfield three, although Stefano Sensi is really going to uh, uh, make that whole thing interesting. Um, you know, I'm not going to get terribly carried away because it was Liechtenstein that he played against, but he was very influential in that game. Uh, and you had some other players step up in the fullback positions, which was needed. Uh, you know, Biragi and Spinazzola had good games at left back. You had the right back, Piccini, played well uh, against Finland. Um, I'm, uh, it's escaping me. The fellow who played in the uh, Liechtenstein game because it wasn't Piccini. Um, oh, man, this is going to bother me. I, I, I should know this. It just happened so long ago, Richard. Was it <laughs> five days <I> ago? <laughs> of all the games this weekend, it's hard to keep track of everyone. Yeah, played, I know. So. But, uh, but somebody, somebody on Twitter can tell me who played right back for Italy against Liechtenstein. And of course I'll figure it out. Uh, you know, after this podcast. So, uh, but anyway, it's, uh, it's, it's good to see, um, you know, some, uh, you know, degree of rotation too, where players still maintained a decent level and, uh, you know, two clean sheets too, and, uh, two different goalkeepers, Donnarumma against, uh, Finland and Sirigu against Liechtenstein. So, I mean, positives all the way around for the Azzurri now. It's, it's, Mancini, it's a group. that's what it was. Mancini. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Mancini. Uh, yeah, Mancini from uh, Atalanta. That's why I because he's normally a center back in a three man defense, and uh, you know he acquitted himself quite well as a as a right back. So, um, but anyway, uh, it's a group that Italy shouldn't have any trouble with. When you take a look, I mean, the the the, the main threats are going to be Bosnia Herzegovina, and they struggled in their two games in Greece, uh, who struggled in their two games. I. I don't see anybody else in this qualifying group that are going to give Italy a problem. They will be at, at Euro 2020. It's not a situation where they're sharing a group with Spain and, you know, winner goes through and uh, runner up has to do a playoff. But uh, this this time, I think it's a it's it's an easy one for Italy and uh, nice to see them get off to uh, a start that we should expect from them. Yeah, 100 percent. I mean, another team I'd probably throw in the mix there would be Armenia, but they didn't look that great against Finland. So um, I think the Azuri should should wrap up this group pretty well. It sh- they should be favorites, and um, I mean, I, though I am hard to impress, I was impressed. That, I, like I said, I do like to see that we scored six goals in one game. Yes, it was Liechtenstein, but if this was like you know, a couple of years ago, we would won maybe two nothing or something that, that kind of game. So um, they've come a long way. There's a lot of promising youngsters on the team. Uh, you can call this team almost the young and the tireless because. It's uh you got the younger like Moise Keane who's in the team and all these youngsters and then you got the the, the savvy vets like Qualiarella who's still banging in goals so um, this team has it all at the moment they got they got so much depth in every position they're they're gonna be good for a while yeah it's a, that's the exciting part you're getting good contributions from different players you know throughout the two games so uh, so good for you uh two nice wins to get uh, the European uh, Championships qualifying can- campaign off to an excellent start. Uh, but now let's jump back to Serie A. Richard, you're going to open proceedings with what took place at the San Siro on Sunday night between Inter and Lazio. 
Yeah, this was a this was a juicy encounter. So we had you know three you know, big games we would call them this weekend. Um, this one was the one I was most curious about because Inter have come in all of a sudden. You know they won the derby not too long ago, just their last game in Serie A, and uh, they started to play a lot better. Uh, they they were very impressive in that game. Lazio, you know we 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 talked about their struggles against the top six in in, in Serie A, right? And so we're wondering, would they find a way? They've had some good halves against teams in the, in the top six, but never a complete game. And um, this one would be on the road. This bit the Giuseppe Miazza, uh, Inter would host this one, and um, you know we learned really early on that uh, you know two guys who have been uh, missing for the for the you know the. To say, you know, say the least, is uh, Luis Alberto and Sergei Milinkovic Savic. Well, uh, they showed up in this game and, and they hooked up early on in the game. Uh, uh, Milinkovic Savic actually started the play. He gives it to Romulo, who Romulo who had a, a fantastic game, by the way, in this game. Lots of great crosses, good, a lot of good play. Um, he crosses it over to Luis Alberto on the left wing and uh, he spots uh, Milinkovic Savic running into the box, you know, crosses it in far post. SMS gets a header on it. Uh, he scored that goal, Frank. Uh, we we know he can score these kind of goals. He just he hasn't done so much this season, but he got up there and he finished it. I mean, yes, it was only two yards out, but uh, nothing the defender could have done that. I, I feel like this is the only good thing Milinkovic Savic has done all season. Like it's taken him twenty nine match weeks to finally actually, uh, and I you guess know, top show no less, right? Yeah, to to show a moment of quality uh, against a good team. Uh, so. Good for him uh, and good for Lazio. Uh, it was very timely. The goal. Um, it was very well. It was very well taken. Um, terrific cross by Luis Alberto. One person, only one person's getting to it, and you know was, un, you know, unfortunately for Andanovic, it was the only one he was keeping out. Um, but uh, and I don't know how much more Inter are going to do defensively in that situation. Yes, they got countered. Uh, Alberto had the space for the cross. Probably could have closed him down a little bit better. But I mean, the, the the ball was pinpoint, and only one player was getting to it, and that was Milinkovic Savic. So, uh, great start for um, uh, Lazio in this one, and uh, uh, off and running. And we we say this about Lazio: uh, the stigma of, of of dealing with better teams, the teams in the top six, just the you know, you know, having their issues, having just the one point until they beat Roma in the Derby, and now they've got that, and now here they come against Inter in a big game, and uh, it looks like um, Inzaghi has has figured something out and figured out a formula for these big games at the right time. Yeah, and now you say if you start to look back at it, maybe that draw or the the, the win in the Coppa Italia over Inter was really you know their catalyst, their cattle point right there because. Um, They've they've looked pretty good against you know the the two other teams they played in the top six. Well, Roma obviously in the derby and then in this game here, uh, you know lots of start. Inzaghi's really starting to get these guys playing how they should against the top six opponent as opposed to the rest of the league. And uh, they look they look good in this one. And you know, in, in terms of Inter in this game, you know many wonder would Icardi start the game, but he you know more antics kept him out of the lineup as well. And Kate Baldi ended up getting the the start at um at striker. Uh, you know. I, you know, Inter did have their opportunities in the game, and they had a corner early on where uh, it looked like it was a direct shot at Strakosha. Strakosha was surprised by it, barely made a save on it. It goes back out to uh, to Milan Skriniar, of all people, who's one of the more uh, lethal center backs in terms of goal scoring, and he ends up shooting it far over the goalpost, Frank. But um, Strakosha got very, very lucky on that one play because uh, he was caught uh, maybe looking uh, looking for a cross instead of uh, looking where the ball's going to go. Um, yeah, it's, it's, 
surprising though that Scudino didn't finish that off, but uh, you know, a bit of fortune there for Lazio. And I mean, if you're going to win these games and if you're going to make a climb back into the top six and maybe even into the top four, um, you need things like this to go your way. I mean, there were times this season where things like this were not going Lazio's way. So, uh, you know, a bit of fortune there that uh, Scudino didn't finish that. I mean, you look at the statistics of this game, and if you if you didn't watch this game, you just saw statistics. You know, Inter won the possession sixty to forty percent. Um, Lazio were forced to make six more or had six big saves they had to make against the Inter's four. Uh, no shots were double the amount for Inter as opposed to Lazio. Uh, they had more shots on target. Um, it's had better possession, better passes overall. You thought they would have won the game, but. Lazio played this very smart, and I thought of the two teams, Lazio looked the more dangerous, especially on the counter. Uh, Caicedo had a good game. Uh, Immobile, when he came on, he had a good game. Um, overall, the team played quite well, and, and Inter had some flashes here and there. I mean, Handanovic saved their ass a, a bunch of times. I mean, he had probably two two or three good saves uh, on top of... It could have been you know, it could have been a 3 nothing game in this game if it was for Handanovic. Um, he was really the only one player that really you know, stood out for me. Vecino had a shot early on in the game that got deflected wide, and Politano he was trying to do a Suzo impression by not being uh, doing anything in the game. But um, what did you make of Inter and and not being able to put away any of these opportunities? Here's here's where it's interesting for me. Um, and I, I, I our friend Nima Tavali, I went I went through and took a look at uh, um, what he had to tweet about it, and he said the the loss is all on Spalletti, who decided not to call Icardi even after Lautaro was injured. And it was just petty and unnecessary. I'm quoting his tweet. Petty and unnecessary to not even have him on the bench in this situation. This immaturity is simply unacceptable as everyone involved is putting their own interests and egos ahead of Inter. <laughs> I have a lot of respect for Nima, but I don't agree with him. Um, I just don't. I, we know the problems here with Moro Icardi, and we, we know the contract situation. We know the kind of the infighting that's been going on between the club and the player. You know, and... By Spalletti making the decision to not play Icardi in this game and not even have him dress, he's 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 making a decision for the club, okay? And he is for the club. He is not going to pander to you know a player that is trying to wind his way to a contract extension. And you know, what's his motivation on the pitch going to be after that? And I mean, you know, his wife is saying all the right things. She was saying, yeah, Icardi's ready to play. You know, let him play. You know, he loves playing for Inter. Well. You know, there's a problem here, and there's a lot of there's there's a burnt bridge here, Richard. Um, yeah, and it's a tough spot to be in. And you know, do, do you how motivated if Icardi starts, and if Spalletti decides, you know, just this one game, I'm going to play Icardi. Do you think the ten men behind them are going to be motivated to play? Mm-hmm. I mean, how how or how motivated? That's you have a you 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 ask a whole new set of questions if you take the decision to play Icardi because Lotaro's injured. Okay. Now, adding to that, what was Icardi going to offer here? I mean, in all of those chances, all right, that were taken in this game, seven on target, all right, sometimes you just tip your cap. Strakosha was damn good in this game and made some big-time saves. Yep. Um, and, uh, you know, Keita Baldi had a couple chances on target, okay? Uh, you know, Vecino had the early chance in the game. There were several other chances for Inter to score the goal, all right? Um, I think Nainggolan had one from distance in the second half. You know, you have 65% possession, 18 shots, you don't score, okay? Uh, on another day, for example, the Derby, three of those go in, 
you yeah. know? Yeah. All right. So you can't go, you can't get all up in arms because number nine wasn't on the pitch when he could have been or should have been or whatever. Okay. So, you know, Inter have themselves to blame in this. They played an aggressive attacking game. Lazio played a very patient game. They defended well. Um, Stratkosha came up with some incredible saves. Uh, I also thought Luis Felipe and Francesco Acerbi were terrific. Um, and, uh, you know, and then you 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 mentioned Romulo with going forward and getting crosses and being part of the counterattack. That's what that's what won this game. Lazio did what they wanted to do better than what Inter wanted to do. Exactly. And number nine, I don't, I'm not convinced would have made a difference. We can't get into these what ifs, okay? Because you can say, hey, number nine's out there. Inter win this game. Well, you know what you. Number nine's out there. How motivated are the other ten guys going to be behind him? Okay, and you had a game just two weeks ago against Milan in the derby where you had this many chances and scored three of them. This is one of those where on another day Inter are walking away with the three points here. All right, but Lazio carried out their tactics better than Inter did. You know, in, in terms of Icardi, they asked Paletti after the game, and you know he he was saying basically, look, the way Icardi you know comports himself, the way he uh, you know demonstrates himself to everybody uh he needs to be away from the team because he's more of a, a more distraction than anything else um and i agree with him there i mean what's he gonna do he's gonna really you know make it even more chaotic than it is at intern we know how that is but um let's go to the, the real winners of this game and that's that's lazio i thought they played really well bastos had a good game as well um yeah, the whole back three the whole back three was excellent yeah i mean i mean the whole team were going through and through i mean uh, uh joaquin correa had a uh, a great play that led up to the to the goal that uh, sms scored um, just all the way around, it was it was a good performance by them, and I was really impressed by them. I mean, Caicedo again, I really like this player, um, Frank. He comes in in the twenty seventh minute, um, and he seems to do something. In the last month or two, every time he comes in the game or every time he starts, he does something for the team. I mean, he made Milan Skriniar look like a, an average defender uh, going one on one and went right by him, nearly scored that a second goal for Lazio if it wasn't for Handanovic. So, Caicedo continues to impress me. Um and you know, Immobile, you know he he had some opportunities. Well, you know again the two between Immobile and and Caicedo. Caicedo Caicedo had an opportunity late in the game. He gets blocked. You know the flary kind of player he is. He backheels it to Immobile. Immobile should have done a lot better with the with the ball that he got from Caicedo. But um, those two continue to hook up. They should need to, they need to play together more often than not. And um, again, it was it was promising signs to see SMS and and Luis Alberto show up in a big game against a top six opponent because they've been missing in, in uh, all season long when it comes against these uh, these top teams. So um, much much better performance by Lazio. And then another question beckons: Where do they go from here? I mean, now they they're in the mix of the European European teams. European, <laughs> they're even getting closer to the Champions League spots. Well, unbeaten in their last four now. Okay, so that's that's important. They've moved up to fifth. They're three points behind uh, Milan, and they have a game in hand. And uh, you take a look at their, uh, you know, leading up to the game at the San Siro on uh, April 13th against against Milan. uh, At Spal, hosting Sassuolo, hosting Udinese, okay? Uh, They have a real chance to not only be maybe even on points with Milan, considering Milan have, uh, they've got Udinese at home coming up, and then they travel to uh, Juve. they may not only be not only match Milan on points heading into that game on April 13th. They could be ahead of them um, right now with the way they're playing. I, I, you know, a year ago today, 
I could not see myself like a year ago at this time saying, man, Lazio can defend all of a sudden, you know, because they can. <laughs> I mean, they can. Um, because this was a very flawed part of their game, but they have figured some things out, and you wouldn't have thought that they were going to figure it out. Exactly. You know, with Devry leaving uh, and with Acerbi filling in. Um, but they they played with some cohesion. Strakoja made some made some great saves here. Um, and uh, it's only going to springboard them as far as confidence is concerned. And now the two players that were involved on the goal, Alberto and Milinkovic Savage, if they can get going, this team is finding it at the right time. Uh, and are very much a threat to finish top four. Yeah, the two Roman clubs, you know, you would have thought the uh, AS Roma would have been the team that would have been on the incline towards the end of the season, but no, it's Lazio uh, starting to turn it on now at the right time, just like you said, and, you know, Strakosha making timely saves. It's all about timeliness with this, this club right now, and uh, they're on the up right now. And I mean, a, a month or a month or, month or two months ago, we would have said, you know, Lazio is not even going to be contenders for, for European place, uh, much less Champions League spot, and... And look at now, they're just what three points behind Milan or whatever it is. So yeah. uh, they're getting, they're getting, it, man. It's, uh, it's, it, I'm glad to see. And let's remember, there could be two more points here. Back on March 10th, they dominated Fiorentina at the Artemi Franchi. Yep. Uh, and should have came away with a win and didn't. Uh, dropped the two points there. So they're in very, very good form right now. Can they sustain it between now and the rest of the season? They have the potential to. Um, you know, and uh, you know they could be grabbing one of these spots at the expense of either Milan or Inter. Yeah, it, uh, it'll be interesting coming down the stretch, and uh, we'll see. They got some um, big games coming down here, and also in the Coppa Italia. So um, I'm interested to see what kind of uh, how, how Lazio rounds out this season. But um, you know, since we're talking about a Roman club, let's go. Let's go to the other side of Roma. Uh, there was another game, the big game that they were involved in. Yeah, let's uh, let's let's um, let's have a little comic relief here, huh? <laughs> exactly. So. Okay, so at the Olimpico, Roma sees a goal, gets a golden opportunity with Milan losing the day before at Sampdoria, which Richard will get to here in a moment. But uh, it was Roma hosting Napoli. Um, great opportunity, as I said, for Roma to close the gap on top four, put themselves in a position uh, to challenge for the Champions League against the Napoli side that uh, second is just about consolidated at this point. Um uh, and uh, a team that just wants to make sure they keep their sharpness and keep their fitness ahead of playing Arsenal uh, here in the last eight of the Europa League and overall making a Europa League run. So uh, it did not take long for things to uh, get ugly for Roma, but beautiful for Napoli. Arkadiusz Milik, beautiful turn and finish. This is a goal of the week candidate uh, that put the Partenope up uh, two goals to nil. How good has Arkadiusz Milik been under Carlo Ancelotti, Richard? It's been a revelation for him. It's like a new player. All of a sudden, um, he gets a second wind, and Ancelotti is using him to his full extent, and it's it's wonderful. When you see goals like that where he, he hits it with his back heel and then gets it gets a shot off and scores a goal, um, it's it's a thing of beauty, really. And, and I'm, I'm happy for Napoli. I'm happy for Milik because uh, we thought this guy had this potential, and then now he's finally getting to that where he need, where we thought he was going to be. Absolutely. Um you know, agree with all of that. I mean, great hold-up play, great target man, um, can finish with his head, can finish with both feet. Uh, very, very classy with the way he turned on that ball, you know, turned with that ball in the penalty area and the composure to finish it uh, and to find a goal. Very, very challenging to do. Uh, he was played in by Simone Verdi, who himself had a very nice match in this game. Yes, he did. Uh, 
you know, I mean, nobody did wrong really for Napoli, <laughs> um, except for unfortunately Alex Merritt, who on a, uh, uh, a situation where um, uh, Patrick Sheik was getting himself in position uh, to get a ball in the penalty area, Merritt going for the ball, uh, getting Sheik instead, referee awarded a penalty. Um, for me, I just and I watched the replay just to make sure. Not not much doubt for me on this one. Uh, and sometimes you, it's kind of surprising because sometimes goalkeepers won't get called for that. Uh, but it was it was the right decision. Sheik was getting himself in a position was going to be was going to be first to that ball, uh, and in a spot where he would have equalized it on his own. So uh, to me, the referee's right to call a penalty there. No, yeah, I agree with that. Uh, when I saw the play and then when I saw the replay, I thought both times I thought, yeah, that was the right call. Um, you know, it was definitely a penalty warranted for Roma. And I'm curious, I want to ask you a question about Moret, actually, because we're talking about him. Do you think he is the second choice goalkeeper for the Azzurri, or do you think it's still Carano? Well, I, I, I'm the one guy who watched Kievo and Cagliari on TV on Friday. and then, You're and, the guy. Yeah. Uh, it's, I, th- I think it should be Carano. Personally, he's having, a, he's having a heck of a season. I mean, well, he also plays on a team that allows him to get shelled. Yeah. So he, and he shows up in those so games. He too. can he can show you how good he is. Merit, Merit, you know, with a team that holds the ball for a long time and and possesses for long periods of time. So, you know, it's like when when he's called on, he can get casual in certain situations. I mean, sometimes that just happens. But, um, you know, uh, you know. Cranio has been outstanding this season. He's been one, you know, just and he's flying under the radar because you look at what goal, goalkeepers we have in Italy. When you have Donnarumma, you have Merit, you have um, Sirigu, uh, you have some of these other good Italian goalkeepers. Panin at Juventus gets some uh, gets some degree of acclaim from time to time. Although his last appearance was very forgettable. Um, so. Uh, for me, it's Cranio. I'd, I'd, I'd certainly say it's uh, it's it's him over Merritt. Okay, yeah, I'm with you there. But yep. back to the back to the back to the play. Yeah, I, you know, Roma got a much deserved penalty for sure, and then they converted as you'd expect. Uh, Diego Perotti slotting that home. Somehow, Richard, it's one-one. Let's go through the stats in the first half. Ball possession, Napoli, sixty-four percent. Total shots, eleven to four. Napoli, four to one on target. Um, one one extra corner kick. Uh, you know, Napoli's going into the dressing room, and and I think the rest of us because I think that the last time these guys met at the San Paolo wasn't Roma shithousing that one too. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> so, but if you're if you're Roma, you go into that situation at halftime one one. You're thinking, okay, this game's ours. I mean, they put they threw everything at us, and we're we're tied. Um, Roma should have been should have been keyword. Um, feeling good at halftime, and and especially again scoring a goal so late because when you scored usually the game the goals at the end of the half, that usually you know that usually tears the other opponent apart, and uh, you end up going and and be able to nick a goal uh, right out of the, right out of the second half, but uh, that didn't happen for Roma. Yeah, it didn't, and uh, it was uh, it was an all out onslaught here in the second half, and uh, if if you want to. Um if you want to know how miserable Roma is defensively and with their goalkeeping, all you need to look at is the goal that not that put Napoli ahead. Oh, yeah. Um, first of all, let's start with where the ball landed. It went over to the right-hand side uh, into the direction of Jose Callejon. Uh, Kolarov is 
not even close to uh, getting into a position to close him down and deny him an opportunity to cross. The ball goes on the ground uh, and enters its way into the six-yard box. Okay, so in a position where the the center backs are out of position and can't get anywhere where they can clear it away, and then Olsen's trying to get to it and just misses terribly. He might have got a finger on it, uh, but it goes past all of them. And uh, waiting at the back post for it was Mertens with one of the easiest goals he's ever going to score. Um, uh, I mean, that's just that that in a nutshell is how miserable Roma is defensively. Um, your thoughts? <laughs> I mean, you said it, you said it one hundred percent. I mean, just look at Olsen. I mean, how does he miss that? The ball basically goes through him uh, to get to him. Dries Mertens on the other side, and I mean. 100% a goalie should get that every time. I mean, if he doesn't, he doesn't necessarily got to grab it, but he's got to at least touch it and deflect it away. It goes right through him. It should never do that. Um, it's like being a goalie five hole almost, you know, similar, similar. There's no way it should have happened. And Rich Mertens, I mean, like you said, that's the easiest goal he was gonna, he's ever going to score. And Roma, um, if they weren't shithousing before, they're shithousing now. I mean, their defense is looks lost. And, you know, many people thought Ranieri was going to be the answer, but, you know, you know, he wasn't. He he he's, he he pumps teams up, but you know, if they ha- they're having glaring, um, you know, setbacks in their team with many deficiencies, he's not going to necessarily clear that, especially in a short amount of time with you know however many games are remaining, remaining in the season. So, uh, Roma's got to find an answer quick if they want to to be in Europe uh, next season. Nobody nobody's fixing this. This is, I mean. That goal is a microcosm of all of Roma's problems, all of them, 100%. every single one. Okay, it was not Eusebio Di Francesco. Okay, and this is, and it's why I think Monchi is very much largely responsible for Roma's problems this season and why they're seventh and why they went out of the Champions League in the round of sixteen. Um, Fazio and Manolas have gotten exposed this season. They don't have Alisson back there to bail them out. When they sold Alisson, they thought they had the replacement in Robin Olsen, but Robin Olsen is a goalkeeper that comes from a completely separate set of tactics than what Roma are trying to play. I don't even know what their tactics are anymore. Um, And also, Robin Olsen has been on teams where he has capable central defenders in front of him, so he looks somewhat decent. You know, Sweden's World Cup run... Was there some goalkeeping heroics from him at times? Okay, but Sweden was the product of a very organized team yep. that kept people out, uh, that defended well, um, that closed down spaces and made it very, very difficult. And they figured out how to score a goal going the other way. All right, and uh, to go from that to go from to a team that is so easy to stretch. Um, they're so confused, and, and it, it's just when you watch Roma, who's in charge out there? Who's demanding things from people out there? I don't even think Olsen's de- as, as demanding as he should be. I, he doesn't have that box presence to me, and I'm blasting him just like about every other podcast is going to blast Robin Olsen here. But <laughs> Manolas and Fazio, Fanolas, are just as guilty. Kolarov can't run anymore, and Davide Santon has just never gotten there. 
Um, that was your back four for Roma. You're running that out there against Napoli. You're going to run that against Mertens, against Milik, against Callejon, against Verdi. <laughs> Is it any wonder why this game ended 4-1 for Napoli? No, there isn't. And, and the, what I think Monchi is the reason why he picked them is because, you know, Sweden played an Italian style defensive, uh, you know, disciplined game in front of Olsen. So, you know, it succeeded for Olsen. You know, he's like, oh, well, you know, bring him to an Italian team. It should be the same thing, right? Well, no, your, your Roma club does not play Italian style defense. They don't play defense at all. And like you said, final losses are, are a shell of themselves from last year. Last year, while they were decent, a lot big part of that is because Alisson, like you said, but they were also. Much I, no, better. I don't. I don't know if they're any different from last year because Alisson bailed their asses true, out a bunch true, of times. That's true. He could have masked so much from the last year, but it seemed it seemed that you know final loss is a lot better last year. Um, but yeah, they they just look like a shell of themselves, and 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 Olsen looks man. He looks like a completely different player from that team, uh, Sweden, that uh, you know beat the Azzurri, uh, you know, last year. So, man, it's it's uh, it's a uh, tough times for Roma. I agree with you. There's nothing that anybody can do at this moment. More evidence of what a calamity Roma is. They get a corner kick, and it gets cleared away a little bit, and it is a race to the ball, a fifty-fifty situation, a race to the ball between Fabian Ruiz of Napoli and. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Daniele De Rossi of Roma. And once Ruiz got that touch and got past De Rossi, you knew a goal was coming, didn't you? So, Oh, 100%. I mean, you see Fabian Ruiz is pulled away like that. You're like, okay, here we go. Here's the yeah. And he plays in Simone Verdi beautifully. It's a goal of the week candidate. And uh, it puts Napoli ahead 3-1. Uh, Adam Unas comes on for Dries Mertens through injury. We'll have to find the extent of that injury and how serious it is. Uh, but even Amin Yunus, uh, actually, Adam Unas uh, scored. No, Adam Unas, Unas didn't score. I, get my Adam, I did this, I think, a couple weeks ago, Richard. I get Adam Unas and Amin Yunus mixed up. Yeah, I know. Amin and, Yunus scores. <laughs> yeah, Yunus is the one that scored. He came on for Simone Verdi in the 74th minute. In the 81st minute, he scored. Um, also of note, uh, uh, Elside Husai uh, left the game injured. Kevin Malqui came on for him. But uh, 4-1 to Napoli. And this is exactly why, you know, what was sacking EDF really going to do for you? And I get Ranieri's done after this season. Roma's going to go find a new coach. But with this current Roma squad, Mourinho can't even come in here with his tactics and be successful. I mean, seriously, this team's a joke. The defending is just poor. It's all over the place. It's not cohesive. In the games where they've gotten clean sheets, they've surrendered shots on goal and somehow, you know, Olsen played well. I remember when they they, they shut out Kievo, um but Mirante was in goal, and Kievo. There were Kievo. Kievo had two or three dangerous opportunities in that game. Um, Keyword: it, Mirante was in goal. Exactly. So, I mean, do is it time to take the toy away from Olsen and say, "Look, it's not working. We're going with Mirante." I mean, that 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 decision yes, should have made, yes. been made back in January. Absolutely, Mirante should be playing the rest of the way, and if he's not, play anybody else. I don't care. You can play Chenji Zunder goal. Somebody else has to play a goal other than than Olsen. Um, they're just uh, he's atrocious right now back there, and their defense is bad, and they got to figure something out. Um, they may have to play a Mourinho style ball and just you know eleven behind the ball. And I still don't know if they'll stop anybody, but um, it's 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 not it's, it's not what we're used to seeing with Roman. I'm, I'm sure Totti's you know um, 
wishing he, he didn't, wishing he wasn't going to any more games because these are it's just bad to show a great player like him how atrocious the team is now. And um, yeah, they had a great run last year, but you know it's a lot of those players that they had that, that helped them get that far in Champions League uh, are gone now. So uh, this team needs to regroup. You know, obviously, going to get a new manager this uh, this summer, and they're going to have to regroup and get some new players because. Uh, uh, the players that they have right now, they just don't have enough heart for Roma. And, and you know those Roma fans, they're super, super passionate. But they're, I mean, they're in seventh, but they're still only four points back of That's Milan a crazy thing. Fourth. That is a crazy thing. They're still in this thing, even though they keep tripping over themselves. I guess it says, I don't know what it says. If it says something about Roma, or does it say something about the other teams around them that maybe they're not as good as we think they are? <laughs> Where when when Napoli are on this kind of level, because let's give them a lot of credit for their performance today. Where would you rank them in Europe? I mean, would you say top fifteen in Europe, top ten in Europe? Granted, they're not in the Champions League; they're not in the last eight of the Champions League. But would you, you know, when they're on this kind of form and playing at this kind of level, you know, I mean, count how many teams could how how many. Count how many teams could beat them. I probably I, five for sure, you know. But is that a after, for sure though? You think? Like I, I think in a normal if if Napoli are just playing Napoli, they're a top ten team. But when they play when they're on top of their game, they're a top five team for me. I mean, we saw they they stood toe to toe with Liverpool and PSG. Okay. Um, when they're on their game, they can play with them because they they they'll boss possession right. Um, you know, there's a couple teams that you know. Obviously, Juve knows how to play against them, but they even then, even they struggle against them. And there's not many clubs in the world. I, w- I would love to see what Napoli against Barcelona would do. Two teams that possession, you know, love possession. How that would work out? Two small clubs too. Um, but I, you know, if if Napoli on top of their form, they're top five for me. But any other week, they're top ten. Okay, I I, I can go with that. I mean, I think with Ancelotti. Yeah, sure. When you look at what's left, I mean, I think, you know, Barcelona, Barcelona, Manchester City, Juventus, three right off the bat that they, they still, they'd still struggle. I mean, by evidence, they, they didn't beat Juventus this season. So, uh, you know, so you've got that. And then after that, you could probably come up with maybe a couple more teams. Yeah. I mean, top 10 flirting with top five when they're on this, when that, when they're on that kind of form and when they play with that kind of, uh, that kind of rhythm. I mean, you know, there's some serious problems with Roma, so let's not totally glorify, totally celebrate this. But I mean, Napoli were outstanding today, uh, and Roma didn't have a clue. Um, and uh, it's just uh, it, it, it's just how it ended up. And no manager, no caretaker, no nobody is going to come in and fix uh, this mess with the with the with the existing squad. They're going to have to figure out something. They're going to have to do it quick. They're only four back of the Champions League places, so there's still a chance here in the last. Uh, nine games of the season, but you know, this performance today and then getting smacked in the, in the Derby uh, a few weeks ago, three nil to Lazio. Uh, there's not a whole lot of hope here with Roma. Uh, so we'll just, we'll just have to have to see. Speaking of, uh, uh, speaking of not a whole lot of hope, uh, Sampdoria Milan, Richard. <laughs> oh, what a segue. Yeah. Not, not a hope here. I mean, you know, the game was going to be at the Luigi Ferrari, uh, the Marassi, and, and we know what kind of team Sampdoria is at home. But, you know, the way Milan has been playing uh, in 2019, you'd expect them to put a strong effort defensively in this one and, and, and it also has some offensive opportunities, you would think. Um, and in this one, it seemed like um, Milan were playing against Juventus or something like that. Uh, Sampdoria, yes, they are a strong team at home, and 
Man, uh, Donnarumma shithousing in 30 seconds into the game. He gets a pass from Romagnoli and somehow decides to try to pass back to him, even though there's Defrel in the way. And Gregoire Defrel uh, gets the ball. And, like It gets passed to him by Donnarumma and scores 30 seconds into the game, just like that, Frank. Uh, one nothing, and there's many discussions on, on the Twitter sphere. You were involved in some of them as well about whether this is Donnarumma's fault, his tactics' fault, this is uh, whose fault, whoever's fault it is. Nonetheless, it was ugly. It startles me. It, it actually very much it, it, it worries me and it scares me that people that are getting paid to do this kind of stuff for a living are blaming it on the tactics and blaming it on the system. <laughs> I mean, and listen, I'm going to double down on, on what I argued on Twitter, okay? Um, and and I, don't think, I, don't, I don't think Matteo Benetti is a bad person. I don't think Adam Digby is a bad person. I respect them both. But, you know, those are the guys that I kind of engage and exchange ideas with here. You know, to blame Gattuso and blame the system for uh, a, a, a next-level piece of dumb fuckery um, cause that's all it is. Let's stop trying to find excuses. Oh, he's a kid. And he's all this other stuff. He makes 6 million a year to not do shit like that. Okay. Let's just, let's just get it out in the open. This is 100% on that goalkeeper. That is 100% on Donnarumma. And he, if he's a kid, let him learn the hard way. Okay. First of all, his support position, he has tunnel vision on where the ball is coming from. Okay. All he has to do is take his right foot and move it so that his hips are opened up to facing the field. His peripheral vision can see Musacchio in a position of support. Okay? And some people are saying, well, because of Sampdoria's pressing style. You know who was over there? Quagliarella. Quagliarella was 20 yards away. You get the ball safely over to Musacchio. That was one option. But since Donnarumma closed himself off and was so casual and make mistakes that you see 12-year-olds make, not professionals, but 12-year-olds, okay, is just simply unacceptable, especially for somebody who's making $6 million a year. You don't blame Gattuso and his tactics and wanting to play out of the back, all right? You blame someone who, as a professional, should deviate from what he's instructed to do and, hell, blast that damn thing into Rosie. And give Sampdoria a throw-in and organize your defense and start over. Okay? Playing out of the back wasn't on. Let's see possession in a spot where we can get everybody regrouped. That's, that's just basic football. Okay? And that has nothing to do with what Gattuso's game plan or tactics or what he demands of his players do. Okay? There's, there's what you're tactically instructed to do by your manager, and there's what the game demands you to do. And in that situation, the game demands you to blast that ball into row Z or play it deep up top. If you're not going to open up and play short to Musa- play it across to Musacchio, or if you're not going to try to find somebody forward, okay. Leading me to another thing: playing out of the back. All right. When you learn, when you go through the coaching schools, okay. Here's the ba- here's the main things, Richard, that they teach you when you play out of the back. All right. Look forward, look forward, and look to play forward whenever possible. Right. Okay. But more importantly, make the safest decision possible. All right. And there is nothing safe about trying to play a ball, especially if a team presses. And this is another basic thing. If a team presses you. With if the ball is coming from the direction of Romagnoli, the pressure's coming from there too. Don't play the ball back in that direction. Absolutely not. And that's what happened. This was foolishness from a 
$6 million a year goalkeeper that should know better. I don't care how young he is. He, he should know better. He has been back there enough now that that ball should have been blasted away or he should have actually done his job a little bit better, opened himself up, seen Musaku if he wanted to keep the ball and play short or blast the ball forward and let one of Sampdoria's center backs have it and everybody can regroup. <laughs> what was the name of uh, Mike Tyson's promoter or something, King? Don King, yeah. Don King. That, 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 that One of his words, dumb, dumb fuckery. <laughs> <laughs> was that one of his words? I have no idea. <laughs> so here's my take on this whole thing. First off, Donnarumma 100% is to blame this one. Um, I agree with everything you just said. Yeah, he is the last. He gets the ball. He should. He should know not to try to hit it in the direction where there's a player coming on you. Yes, they're pressing. So what? He he should. He is ultimately responsible for that ball. That ball and it going into the back of the net. He either needs to clear it up the middle field if he feels that pressure. That he can't find anybody open, or like you said, shoot it in row Z and get get rid of it. Don't mess around with the ball, especially in your own defensive end, because that's only bad things happen when that when that happens. Now, with that said, though, I, you know, I, I do want to blame not this not this not this instant not this goal because that's all Donnarumma's fault. But I think the the tactics that Gattuso implements in his team is for a goalie like a Ter Stegen or someone who's actually good with the ball. And Rome, and Donnarumma is nothing, not like this at all. So what they should not be doing is keep passing it back to him, hoping he's going to get better. If you want him to get better in the off season, when you practice the footwork with him, and, and don't do it during the season, and, and put your put your your games at risk because you know this guy can't do anything, you know, point blank right there. I mean, it's hundred percent his fault. There's no other, there's no one else to blame but Donnarumma on that play, and he knows that he saw it. He, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't, he, he didn't look at the bench and blame Gattuso for it, right? No, he he knew it was his fault, and it's hundred percent Donnarumma's fault. And I don't have a I don't have a problem with anything you just said there, none at all. And I think Digby was responding. He said you have to blame the system at least someone. I said I'm not going to blame the system. I'm going to blame Don blame Donnarumma. I get that the system can make a player like Donnarumma uncomfortable, who has shown he can be cringeworthy at best on his feet. Yep. Okay. But even a player at his age, he's been a professional for what four years now. Yeah should understand when to deviate from what the coach expects of him. Okay? And I'll guarantee you, if you would have hoofed that forward or hoofed that in, there's no uh, halftime dressing room Gattuso running over looking to strangle his goalkeeper for making no, that decision. No, no. Okay? So it's, you know... Uh, you know, to say it's this to say it's the system is foolish. It's a situation where, like I said, what does the game demand of you? And in that situation, if you can't see Musaki, if you can't see some of the other options that are available, then blast it away. Better to give it away in the opponent's half of the pitch than to give away a goal like he did. Didn't Buffon, didn't Buffon make a career of this? He was never that great with his feet, but you know he'd always just clear it away and keep it, keep it out of danger. Yeah, that's exactly. One, that's one of the best goalies ever. Because he knows, yeah, okay, I know we're playing on the ground and we're playing a passing game, but I'm not good at the passing game. So what I'm going to do is if I see danger coming, I'm just going to clear it, play safe. Don't Let them have it that. here. You can have it over here. I'm going to regroup my guys and we'll yep. try to win it back. Exactly. Yeah, that's what should have happened here. Go on. <laughs> uh, so anyway, yeah, we got the real there. Uh, so that was Sampdoria with an early lead, one nothing, uh, by dumb fuckery, uh, by Donnarumma. Uh, so Sampdoria got the early lead, and you know you wonder how Milan would respond, and really they didn't really respond too well. Um, I thought Sampdoria did very well in this game to um, carve up possession, carve up chances. Qualiarella, you know, he tried to instill his will in the game, had a couple great opportunities in the game. 
Uh, Gregoire de Frel was everywhere. Gregoire de Frel, who looked like he had no legs with Roma, all of a sudden looks like he's a speedster with, with uh, Sampdoria. Um, good for him, but, I mean, Roma were like, what the hell is this, man? Um, maybe he just wasn't happy there, I guess. I don't know. But uh, Sampdoria, we know they play really well at home, and, and we thought Milan would have been able to show up and, and make some kind of effort in this game. They had some opportunities. Uh, Suzo in the first half had a shot. Uh, that went wide, or that was on target. Actually, Aduro was made to, was forced to make a big save. That was probably his hardest save of the game. Um, other than that, Milan didn't muster too much, uh, too many opportunities. I mean, Gattuso made a substitution at halftime, taking off Rodriguez, putting Calabria on the left, bringing in Conti, hoping that would help things out. That didn't do anything. He bought in Cutrone for Suzo because Suzo was having a shitty, a shitty game. Um, that didn't help anything. Paqueta came in, in the seventy-first minute uh, for I think Lucas Bilia. Um, nothing, nothing that would help Milan in this case. And, um, you know, it wasn't until really last 10 minutes of the game, Frank, that Milan started doing stuff. And it's really once Paqueta came in, Milan started playing much better, yep. much better. And there's a play in particular, though, in the 87th minute, um, a ball gets played in. I forget who makes the pass in, but, uh, it's, uh, Piantic who gets on the ball. He has two defenders on him. He gets taken down. Uh, everyone's on the Milan side is clamoring for a penalty. Play goes on. It continues on for another three more minutes before the ball goes out of bounds. Then they go to VAR. Um, so initially, before they went to VAR, referee was saying it was all ball. The defender got the ball and da da da. Then when they went to VAR, and you're watching VAR, you're thinking they're going to overturn it because they took a, a, a pretty pretty long time trying to make a decision. But it, the decision came back that you know the referee's initial decision was his decision. He's going to stick with that and he's going to say it was no penalty. Um, Despite, you know, I thought it would have been unfair for Milan to steal a point in this one. I thought they were robbed on this play. How do you feel on that play? Um, I've been, this is one that I've actually just as, as an objective person and not a Milan fan, I've been trying to go back and forth on. Uh, because VAR is in position to see if an obvious error has been made. And when you even look at the replays, it's really hard to tell if an obvious error has been made. It looks like Moto gets a little bit of the ball, but also gets a little bit of Piantec. And at that point, it comes down to the discretion of the referee. It comes down to the discretion of Orsato. Um, the Milan fan in me said that was a penalty. That's what I put on Twitter. Um, you know, yeah. I, I'm going to draw the ire of some Milan fans, but I guess I want to say that it's, you know, I kind of want to say that I don't, I want to say that I'm fine with the no call because to end up getting bailed out on a VAR reversal when a team has been crap all game, I guess it would have been criminal. Yeah, it would have been criminal. I get it. It would have been a valuable point. And I guess that that's where my, that's where my where my thoughts kind of lie with this. I have a hard time going to VAR and, and saying that there was a clear and obvious error here because I don't think there was a clear and obvious error. It's very close. You could have argued that he got the ball. You could have argued that he got Piante because I think he got a little of each. Um, and in this case, Orsato stuck with his decision. And, and, you know, at least they took the time to take a look at it, you know. And the, we've yeah. seen the password didn't do that. Yeah, and the conversation had to be VAR said, let's just look at this and make sure you're okay with this decision, okay? Uh, where he looked at it and said, hey, I'm seeing a little bit of the ball here just before he gets a little bit of Piantic, and I kind of thought that was what happened, but the fan in me wanted to see maybe a miracle in, in getting a penalty, but in a, but then again coming back and saying, 
we Milan would rob Sampdoria of a point out of this. So it's kind of like it's one of those that would it would be a point that Milan would love to have, but in the in the end, it would be a point that they'd steal. So um, that's my long-winded way of saying I kind of really don't have a problem with Orsato sticking to his guns on that one. So I thought, like like I was saying before, no, Sampdoria deserved this to win one hundred percent, and I thought I'd been criminal had Milan been given a penalty and then I'm getting a draw that way. You know, if, if I took all that aside, just look at the one play. Um, I've looked at that play more times than I care to actually now, <laughs> over the last you know several hours. Um, if 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 Muru had gotten the ball first and then take it, took Piantic out after Arben, that's fine. But the more I watch the replays, the more I look like Piantic gets taken out first before Muru's toe gets on the ball, and that's where I had that's where I got pissed off. Um, or if it was simultaneous, or, or like I said, the ball gets hit first, I would have been fine with the call. But it looks on the replay, the more I watched it, that Piante gets nailed first before uh, Muru gets on the ball. That's where I have the problem with it. And But like I said, the result is how it should have been, a Sampdoria win. But I, I, st- you know, I, I think that was, a, a, an, in fact, a penalty. Maybe that's just the Milan side of me coming out. I don't know. But, um, you know, it is what it is. And Milan didn't deserve a win in this game nonetheless. And... You know, Sampdoria, you got to give them credit. Yes, they were home. They were a strong team. But you still got to you still got to perform, right? Especially against a, a top six team and a team that you're battling for a, Europe, a European spot. Um, with this win, Sampdoria are, are back in the European picture again or in, in the hunt. Uh, Milan, they're left scratching. Uh, they lost in the derby, you know, the last Serie A game. And now here they go uh, with a big game against Sampdoria and they lose that game on the road. And you start to wonder, is, is Milan going to be in a decline now? We've seen, you know, last year... Around this time, Milan started dropping points unnecessarily. It was a obviously it was a tough game against against Inter, you know, a couple weeks ago, and this game was a tough game as well. But um, I thought Sampdoria were the the more dangerous team going forward. They had the hardest the hardest uh, shots to stop in this game. Uh, there's a couple posts in this game. Qualiera had one, and I think maybe Pret had another. Um, Sampdoria definitely looked like the better team, looked a more hungrier team, and. Um, it leaves you wondering: A, can Sampdoria continue this kind of? Oh, we we know that we know the answer, right? On the road, they they can't do it. On home, they're, they're, they can beat anybody. And then and then Milan, where do they go from here? Are they gonna be able to regroup? Are they are they in a decline or just a, another blip in the radar in consecutive weeks? You know. Okay, here's where I'm gonna get mad at Catuzzo's system. So Catrone comes on, and we and then they play with two strikers. But uh, Chalhanolu and Castellejo, it was more Castellejo, I think, are still cutting inside with the ball. There's two strikers in the game. Can we please have a winger that can run the ball to the end line and cut it back to one of two targets instead of cutting inside with the ball and getting into everybody's space? I mean, the problem with Milan is in this game, no ideas whatsoever. So predictable and easy to defend. You know what Suzo's doing every time. He wants to cut in, you know. I don't think Calabria got forward a lot in this game because Calabria probably recognized the situation and say, why the hell should I go forward? I'm not going to get the ball, Yeah. you know. Um, yeah, he was more visible in the second half when he was playing left back as opposed to right back because he was getting a lot more of the ball from, you know, Paquette yeah. or Telenolo or whomever. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Now, what, do, what do you make of the pairing of Lucas Bilia and uh, Timo Bakayoko? Because they don't seem like they're on the same page. And, you know, before Bilia got healthy again, Milan was having one of the strongest midfields in, in 
in Syria, you know, during that time, it was Paqueta, it was Bacayoko, it was Kesi or Chalanolo, whoever you want to put there. Um, and now, you know, Paqueta doesn't start this game. Kesi's out. So you put Bilia in, who had Bilia had a goal, a great goal last week or, you know, two weeks ago, or three weeks ago, whatever it was. Um, but they just don't seem to mesh together. They weren't on the same page. And Bakayoko's usually winning balls and doing a lot of great stuff in the game. He didn't do much of that in this game. And Bilia, he was okay, but they were not on the same page whatsoever. Um, I don't have a problem. Or, or no, here, I should say that, back, edit that. It needs to go back to Kessie Bakayoko Paqueta. Um, and I don't know. Can they do that? I mean, is Kessie hurt? I think it was one of those. the red card, right? Didn't he have a red card or something? Or um... Shoot, I can't remember so long ago. See, this is what we should no, have. No, he was available on the bench. Um, he was available on the bench. Uh, so he was fine. I think it was a decision of Paqueta and, and Kessie coming back from their international teams um, that you know, Gattuso and a lot of teams did this where guys coming back from, you know, longer trips, they didn't, you know, they didn't play, they didn't turn around and have them play. So I get that, but no, it didn't work. And I honestly think they need to go back to Kessie, Bakayoko, Paqueta. I think, you know, oddly enough for as much as Kessie gets railed by Milan fans, he was missed in this game. Um, You know, his running, his energy and, you know, and some of the forays that he could make into the box, you know, he's, not graceful when he gets in there, <laughs> you know, but, uh, but I think he was missed in this game. I, I you know, it just, it, it was a Milan that was just short of ideas. And I think you give credit to Sampdoria because they had w- just, you know, one or two more ideas than Milan did in this game. And that's all they needed. Yeah. I couldn't agree. With, I couldn't agree anymore. And it was, um, uh, great, great win by a great win for uh, Sampdoria to get back in the in the European fixture, and then Milan. You know, fortunately for them, um, Inter and uh, and Roma lose, so um, I guess it could be worse. Yeah, I mean they're still two points behind third, but they've got a whole bunch of people chasing them now. When you look at Lazio, we're going to talk about Atalanta here in a little bit. Um, you know, each on forty eight, Roma on forty seven. Now Sampdoria is back in back into the mix, and you know. Torino is starting to fade just ever so slightly here, uh, but um, it's still very, very interesting. I mean, from fourth to ninth, it's still six points with nine games to go. Uh, from third to ninth, it's eight points with nine games to go. Um, so, I mean, this is still very wide open as far as who's going to get the remaining two Champions League places. Anything can happen at this point. Um and uh, we'll just have to see. I think Sampdoria are back in it, but they've got to show they can start winning some away matches. Yeah, if they they want to be uh, contenders for the European any any European spot, they need to start winning the road and and win more consistently for sure. They're at Torino uh, midweek. Is that is that a uh, Europe elimination game? I mean, it's a yeah, it's a European spot six pointer, right? They're both on forty five points. Uh, they're both trying to get into um, into Europe Europa League. I think it is. I think it is, and it, I mean, it is if there's a winner and a loser. If, if they draw, it's fine uh, for them, I think. But uh, if one of the teams wins, if Torino wins or, or Sampdoria wins, whoever wins that game, the other team I think is all but eliminated. Okay. Okay. So those were the three games that we were uh, we were locking in on here, as far as uh, wanting to focus on the European picture. Three big games on the peninsula coming back from the international break. Your thoughts. Inter Lazio, uh, 1-0 to Lazio. Uh, 
Napoli going to the Olimpico, battering Roma 4-1, and Sampdoria winning 1-0 over Milan. Your thoughts at Serie A sit down on Twitter uh, or Instagram. Let's go to the rest of Match Week 29. All right, and we're going to run right through this. Uh, the action started Friday night. Uh, Kievo and Cagliari, Cagliari excuse me, um, the Sardinians uh, winning 3-0, getting all three goals in the first half. Pisacane uh, scoring first. Uh, Joao Pedro uh, getting the second goal, a goal of the week candidate, largely because of the work that Nicolo Barella did uh, on that run. And then Artur Yonitsa uh, making it 3-0. Uh, a red card in this game from Kievo, second half to Pauli, uh, second yellow. Uh, noteworthy, though, Alessio Cranio, as we mentioned, six saves in this win for the Sardinians, Richard. Um, you know, uh, this was, uh, we, we, we talked about Sampdoria away being a problem, Cagliari away being a problem, too. But, you know, I watched a little bit of this game. I mean, I find this Cagliari team playing with a little bit more freedom. They had that big win over Fiorentina prior to the international break. I think they played as if that win confirmed that they're safe uh, for another season in Serie A. And it feels to me like this Cagliari team is playing with a lot more freedom. They're, they seem to be just enjoying their football at the moment. They're playing like a weight's been lifted off their chest. And they're playing, like you said, I, I agree, 100%. They're playing more free. Uh, like, they're, like they know that they're safe now and... Um, I mean, I, I can't blame them. They they are pretty safe, in my opinion. If you look at the table, um, good for them. They, this is where they should be playing, and you knew they had it in them, and they had to, they have some decent pieces there. And Jao Pedro, uh, he's looking better and better each week, especially when Barella is setting him up like he did this week. So, um, yeah, Cali, you know they're always strong at home, but on the road, getting a win, a big win like that at the Bentagodi, uh good for them. It's uh, you know, it's, uh, for a while we were worried if they're going to be in the relegation fight for the whole season, but um, they started to turn the things around, and uh, good for them. Uh, and they're, they're a fun squad to have in Serie A, especially, well, I, in, especially in, the, in the island. I mean, for as long as they've got Cranio and Barella, they're going well, yes. to be somebody you want to watch, especially if you're an Azzurri fan. So for the so, next couple months, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, and to, for the next couple months, I think they're both, uh, both going to be at new places in the summer. In Cali, um, I should expect, should expect to cash in uh, pretty heavily on both players. So let's just see how they reinvest after that. Uh, uh, moving on to the Saturday games, uh, Udinese 2, Genoa 0, uh, Stefano Okaka on uh, both of these goals are making the goals of the week, Richard. Yes. Uh, Stefano, Stefano Okaka, what a brilliant team counterattack oh, this was to go ahead by a goal brilliant. to nil. And uh, Rolando Mandragora, take a fucking bow. Goal of the week. My God, yeah. Well, there's no debate. <laughs> and that's in the goal of the season discussion. I know we're still yes. looking at Qualiarella's goal against uh, Napoli, but, man, what a strike that was. And, um, you know, we can't uh, we, we can't discount on the other end. Musso with six big saves in this game, too. But, boy, uh, Igor Tudor comes back for the Zebrete, and Udinese get a big, big win. Uh, Are Udinese the new Palermo with the managers? <laughs> <laughs> this is the third manager this season, isn't it? Well, it's the Pozzo family. You you never yeah. know. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a huge win for their prospects. They have that game in hand where they've got to go to Lazio. So, um, But they, they travel to Milan here at midweek. We'll see what happens with that. But, uh, um, I mean, it's all about the two goals that got scored in this game. 
Man, uh, that team goal that that Udinese scored for the first one. I mean, between Okaka, um, after, it was it was it uh, Depal and who, who got the assist or, or the secondary assist? I should say to um, Fofana. Who was who made that pass to him? I forget. Anyway, it was a beautiful team goal. I think Okaka it was Fofana. It yeah, yeah. So it was, I mean, it was a great team goal. I mean, the speed, the pace uh, of of countering there. That was a wonderful, wonderful goal. And then. You didn't think it was going to get any better than that, and then Mandragora with his uh, freaking volley from no man's land. Yeah, that was uh, that was something sensational. So Udinese winning two goals to nil. Uh, Juventus and Empoli that ended one nil. And uh, Richard Moise can he's done it again. The big, the real deal. Uh, this kid, uh, he's scoring goals, and uh, yeah, uh, great layoff by Mandzukic. Uh, for me, also a goal of the week candidate. Uh, this kid just knows how to score goals. He scores for Azuri. He scores for Juventus. Um, he's got more goals in the last uh, last few weeks than any other top striker in, in Serie A. Mm-hmm. This guy's on. This guy's this guy's special. Hopefully, he continues on this uh, trajectory uh, and becomes one of the greats. Uh, troubling loss there for Empoli, and we'll get to why uh, here shortly. Uh, Sunday's action began, Parma hosting Atalanta. It was Gervinho opening the scoring, but then Atalanta turned up uh, Mario Pasolic. Uh, equalizing, uh, and then it was uh, Duvan Zapata getting a brace. Uh, first one, uh, first one turned in on a pass by Cas- Timothy Castan. Second one by Papu Gomez, who also assisted Pachulic. Uh Two Papu Gomez assists. Parma just didn't have an answer for Papu Gomez th- in this game. Nah, no one, no one really does. Um, you you got to like Pasolic and his goal because he ga- he's the one who gave up the goal against Irvino with a bad pass or bad uh, turnover that led to the Gervinho goal, and then he gets it back with the equalizer. So um, nifty nifty footwork there, but, yeah, it's all Papu Gomez. He can't be stopped. Uh, hardly anyone can. Uh, when he deals, I mean, he deals. He's one of the better passers in the league. So um, nothing too surprising there from Atalanta. Atalanta right back in this thing now, tied for fifth on points with Lazio technically sitting sixth uh, on 48 uh, so uh, watch out. Uh, Gasparini's men are right in the thick of things for a Champions League place. Uh, Fiorentina won, Torino won. Uh, Diego Simeone uh, opened the scoring. Daniele Baselli on any other week would probably have the goal of yeah. the week. He's going to be yeah. second to Mandragora, yeah. unfortunately. Um, two teams that are just going to be languishing on the top end of the mid-table here, I think, the rest of the way. I mean, we talk about Torino still having an outside chance of, uh, of doing some damage and finishing top six. Um, but, uh, you know, two teams that, uh, are evenly matched played it out that way. And, uh, um, a, a bit of a cost here for Torino, Iago Falke left this game with an injury and I don't know, uh, the extent of it as of this recording. Uh, did you see anything on that or? No, I did not. Um, I'll, I'll keep looking, but I haven't heard anything about him yet. I was hoping to see some updates soon, but, um, I've been, I've not seen anything yet influential player for the Granata would be a uh, big loss if, uh, if 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 he cannot uh, uh, play here in future games. Now, I'm not seeing anything like that's just jumping out, so I'm wondering if it's a minor thing. We'll just uh, we'll have to find out here in the coming days if he's going to be available. Uh, Frosinone Spal, this was a relegation six-pointer. Um, Spal getting the win and early goal from Vicari on the uh, corner kick. Uh, and helping Spall getting a little bit of breathing space, pretty much continuing to uh, consign. Frozenoni is 10 points from safety with nine games remaining. Richard, I think Frozenoni, we can say for all intents and purposes, are done. 
Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a game they had to have. Like you said, a relegation six-pointer. I thought they had the better of the opportunities in this matchup, but nonetheless, goals is what matter. Uh, they didn't get any, and, and the one goal by Vicari was enough to, to see off um, Frosinone. They're, they're done, man. I mean, there was a, a very slight chance that they could have, you know, maybe pulled even to the, the third or 18th spot, but eight points behind now, there's... Um, doesn't look good for them and now you know Spal now that they give they give themselves some breathing room as well. For sure. Um yeah, so Spal gets a little bit of breathing room, Frozen only just in bigger trouble at the moment. But uh, the reason why Empoli now sits in eighteenth is because Bologna wins two one over Sassuolo. It was an Eric Pulgar penalty that opened the scoring. Um should point out very early in the game, Sassuolo thought they had the opening goal through Babacar, mm-hmm. uh, a goal that was reversed correctly. Uh, he was in an offside position off a cross. Uh, VAR t- had a VAR had the referees take a look at it. They overruled it uh, or overturned the goal. Uh, but so the scoring actually opened through that pool guard penalty. Uh, Boga equalized for Sassuolo uh, again, and initially they actually didn't rule this a goal for offside. They went back to VAR, saw that he was in an onside position, so they gave him the goal. And then in the 98th or 96th minute, it is. It is Mattia Destro Richards scoring, but that's not the story. I guess he heard himself celebrating. <laughs> I guess when you don't know how to score goals in Serie A, you, you don't know how to celebrate either, so this is all foreign stuff to him, right? Yeah, he was so shocked that he scored. He didn't know what to do, and he ended up hurting himself. <laughs> he, heard, he heard something because Mihailovic said, yeah, yeah, Destro got hurt while celebrating. So, um, so, And that was off a corner kick from uh, Ricardo Orsolini, who's getting more and more influential with Bologna. Good to see. He's a, he's a, he's a good young player. Oh, 100%. And, and this game, uh, the Emilia-Romagna um, derby, uh, it ended up being really fantastic at the end of the game, and I mean, if 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 it wasn't for some of these goals we saw this weekend, Destro could have been a a goal of the week contender with his last minute gas winner. But uh, still, it was a fun fun game overall, and uh, yeah, uh, good for uh, good for for Bologna not only winning the game but also getting out of the relegation spot for the moment. Yep, um, you know, and Mihailovic still says, "Hey, safety is the number one goal right now." He says he still thinks it's going to be a miracle to get out. Well, you're seventeenth. So with ten with nine games to go, Bologna control their destiny. Um, but uh, but he is right; it, it's going to still be a very very tough challenge. So the relegation scrum just as enticing uh, as what's going on with Europe. I mean, you got right now fifteenth, Spal twenty nine, Udinese twenty eight, uh, and sixteenth, Bologna twenty seven, and seventeenth, and Empoli uh, in eighteenth on twenty five. Um, you know, I, I I think the guys that are in the bottom three are the three that I think are going to go down. Um, I think Udinese and Bologna have enough quality to stay afloat, and I think Spall are just rigid enough, uh, you know, to survive. But I think, you know, if I've got to look at the teams that are 15th, 16th, and 17th, Richard, if I'm like I said, if I'm going to pick one of those three to go down, I'm going to pick Spall out of those three. Yeah. Um, I just I think Udinese and Bologna have too much talent, too much quality, um, you know, and hopefully they can accumulate the points that go with all that talent and quality too. It'd be a shame too. I mean, because Spal don't play the prettiest prettiest football, and and Empoli do. I mean, even even against Juventus, they look they look good. Uh, Krunic uh, uh, had a couple opportunities for goals in that game that he just missed wide. Um, Empoli play a very very attractive game. They just unfortunately give up more goals than they than they should. 
Uh, they got you know good strikers, and uh, like I said, it'd be a shame for them to get relegated with with a team like Spa who play who are are very much trying to bring back Atanacho. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll see. I mean, all that matters at this point is getting points, right? And you can't lose in, at this point of the season. And Spa get a pick up a big three points, and then probably lose big three points. So yep. um, yeah, that's all that matters at this point of the season. Yep. All right, goals of the week. I'm going to give you my uh, five down to one. Uh, my, my five, my number five. I'm going Matia Destro. I feel sorry for the poor bastard. Um, <laughs> getting hurt celebrating a goal, and you know it doesn't. It's not often when he scores, and he scores in the 96 minute a goal that might help keep Bologna up. Um, in the thick of it. So I think it deserves some merit, um, you know, for being here. Number four, I'm going to go with Arkadiusz Milik's tight little turn and finish. Uh, number three, I'm going to go with Udinese's uh, goal through Okaka on the team counter. Uh, I'll go with Baselli, number two, and I'll go with Mandragora, number one. Oh, we're not too far off this week as opposed to the other week. Um, you know, I, 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 I don't know why I'm putting him at number five, but number five, I'm going with the Udinese team goal, the Okaka goal from Fofana. I really like the goal, so I probably should put him a lot lower anyway. Uh, number four, I'm going to go to Juventus. Uh, Moise Keane uh, got the assist by Mandzukic. Um, you know, those two hooking up, and uh, the youngster again with a wonderful strike. It's the goal for Juventus in the win. Uh, number three coming in for me is uh, Arkadiusz Milik with that back heel to, to, to top corner goal. As you mentioned, Baselli, again, any other week, number one, but this is going to be number two this week, and Mandragora with a sensational volley uh, is an understatement. That That is absolutely number one. Yeah, definitely agree with you there. So, yeah, we 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 just uh, we differ on one. Our top five is pretty similar. We differ on one goal, and I I like Ken's goal too. I mean, it was a nice little nice little knockdown fr- from from uh, Menzukic to set him up. Um, yeah, and I had that throw in mind, so you know. Yep, yep, for sure. So, um, so the top five. Um, give me a uh, give me a. I'll, I'll start with a winner and loser, and I'm gonna I'm gonna have the um, I'm gonna have them from the same game. Uh, it's too easy to pick on Roma these days. Uh, so I'm going to go to that San Milan <laughs> game. I'm going to go obvious with the individual. I'm going to go with uh, Gianluigi Donnarumma, obviously, and I've I've given my rant for why he's the loser this week. Uh, but the winner I want to give, and I think a very under-the-radar, underappreciated uh, player in that game, and that's Omar Kali, um, the center back for Sampdoria. Uh, the range that he defended with, the key tackles that he made, some of the timing and when he had to deal with Piontek. You know, Piontek got free and got some chances in this game, uh, but I really was very impressed with Kali's performance. And if he can play with that kind of form, I don't yeah. – Sampdoria haven't had a defender of his, you know, athleticism and range. And, it, you know, it's it was Koulibaly-esque, and I might be speaking blasphemy to Napoli fans out there. But, you know, watching him defend in that game against Milan, I was reminded of Koulibaly. I mean, he was being, he was being Piantic to every loose ball. I mean, Piantic didn't have a, have a, have a prayer against him. So uh, I can see where, I can see where you, it's a stretch. But, yeah, I can see exactly what you're talking about there. He, uh, is going to be – hopefully uh, he continues at this, at this, this rate and keeps getting better because uh, he could be a special one if he, if he continues getting better. We don't know what kind of uh, consistency he has yet, but uh, hopefully uh, – he has something in him, so. Okay. How about your winner and loser? Um. Well, my loser is going to be Donnarumma. Um. <laughs> he has to take the bait for that that terrible goal he gave up, uh, and he didn't, he looked pretty shaky throughout the game as well. Uh, winner for me, I am actually going to go with Udinese. I thought they um 
They responded well. It was a tough opponent against Genoa. Prandelli's side is always a, a, a hard side to, pl- to play against and beat. Um, the team goal was sensational. And then obviously Mandragora with that individual effort to get that goal. Uh, they, lo- they, look, they look pretty good. They're fun to watch. They're a young, young, good squad. So um, hopefully they have enough to keep, keep out of the relegation, uh, relegation zone. They don't, belong, they don't belong there, in my opinion, with the talent they have. But, um, yeah, they're going to be my winners of this week. And uh, I guess a, a second shout-out, if I pick an individual player, I'm going to go with the Lazio game, and I'm going to go with Romulo. Uh, I thought he had a very, very good game, a lot of good crosses in the game. He was uh, very instrumental in, in the offensive end. So um, that will be my winner for individual side. All right, all right. So your winners and losers and your goals of the week, go to at City, I sit down on Twitter or Instagram, and uh, let's have some f- final thoughts. All right, our final thoughts here are on uh, midweek football, Richard. Match, match day 30 going to take place midweek here. Um, and let's just uh, run through the slate here. Uh, Tuesday there are two games, Milan – at the San Siro hosting Udinese, that game just all of a sudden got really important. Um, also, you have Cagliari placing host, playing host to Juventus. Um, you have Empoli. Uh, Wednesday, Empoli host Napoli. Frosinone hosting Parma. Uh, Genoa hosting Inter. Roma and Fiorentina, good one there. Uh, Spal hosting Lazio. Torino hosting Sampdoria, another good one. Uh, on the docket there. And then on Thursday, you have Sassuolo playing host to Chievo and Atalanta playing host to Bologna. Uh, give me the ones you're most interested in out of those. Uh, the big ones that stand, stand out for me are uh, Roma, Fiorentina, and uh, Torino, Sampdoria. I think those are all have European uh, implications in those games. And so I'm curious, especially the Torino, Sampdoria game, uh, that could be a, a, a European six pointer there. So. Um, the loser of that game could very well be out of Europe altogether. So um, they, they both have an outside chance. I think the loser of that game definitely is not going to have a chance anymore. I'm interested in this Cagliari-Juventus game. Um, is it in Cagliari? It is. It's in Sardinia. Oh, then yes, I would, I would agree. Juventus without Ronaldo. And, and Cagliari have gotten some scalps here at home recently, Fiorentina and Inter in recent weeks. So this is not an obvious three points for the Bianconeri. Um, and they their last road match at Genoa they lost so uh, and and I presume they're not going to have Ronaldo we don't know that yet I'm guessing that they probably won't have him um, so uh, this could be this could be a bit of a test for them uh, the the form that Cagliari is playing with uh, some of the injuries hitting Juventus um, you know I won't I. I'm not going to go crazy and say Cagliari are going to win this game, but I won't rule out the possibility that they could get something out of it. Um, so uh, especially the form they're in, especially with what they've been doing at home in recent weeks, like I said, and I get it, Inter and, and Fiorentina have been really weird the last few weeks. And uh, speaking of weird, that, that Roma-Fiorentina game, like you said, all kinds of weird going on there. Um, you know, two, be lots of goals in that game. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what we're hoping for. I mean, I think if you want the uh, if you want the uh, the neutral, hey, just let me watch a match and see a lot of goals, that should be the game that has it. Um, they're at the Olimpico. Two teams that can score, but two teams that also can't defend uh, very well either. So, um, so look forward to that one. And I'm with you. Torino Sampdoria, we talked about that. That could be a – if there's a winner, the loser could be out of European contention altogether or uh, really very much on the outside looking in. So those, I think, are the ones that are, are most interesting to me. And obviously, as a Milan supporter, I'm, 
I'm very keen on that Milan game um, uh, against the Zabretta, who seemed to have a, a little bit of a spark under Igor Tudor, who is there now for another stint as manager. So, um, And then uh, next weekend, uh, Juventus-Milan, that is the headliner. Um, uh, that is on uh, the 6th, right? That is on the 6th, yes. And also as uh, Sampdoria Roma is also on that, that day as well. Okay. And then Inter against Atalanta on uh, on Sun, or the seventh. So, yeah, it's a lot of big games. But I think Juve Milan take the take the cake on that one. Always does when those two hook up. Um, interestingly enough, that is a uh, noon Eastern kickoff. Uh, Juve Milan at eleven o'clock uh, my time. Usually, you would think that would be the night game, but um, I think considerations of in consideration of Juventus having to hit the road to the to uh, Amsterdam. Uh, for their Champions League game against Ajax just after this. Um, that's probably why they're starting and kicking off just a little bit earlier. Uh, Juve Milan, uh, do you want to make a prediction? Oh, man. Uh, Juventus is going to be at home. This is, um, I want to say it's going to be close, but I think uh, the champions uh, have what it takes. And maybe even the youngsters uh He's he's riding hot lately. Uh, do not be surprised if Moise Keane gets in behind the defense and gets a goal somehow past Donnarumma. So I'm concerned for Milan in this one, uh, whether Juve have Ronaldo or not. And I think that Juve, I mean, because it, unless Milan starts showing something different in attack, I think this is going to be a problem. I think Juve nicked this 1-0. Um, uh, and... Uh, they won't. It'll be a comfortable one 0 win because I don't think Milan are going to threaten their goal because just the way they're attacking right now and just some of the things that they're doing and how predictable they look going forward. I think that Juve is going to be the one team that is going to take them five minutes to figure it out, and Milan aren't going to offer anything. So um, I'm being very pessimistic, but <laughs> hey, after what I watched on Saturday, I I've got a right to be. So uh, so that's where I'm going. Uh, who do you like in the midweek fixtures? Go to at City I sit down on Twitter or Instagram and also go there with your predictions of Juve and Milan. And that's going to put a bow on this edition of City I sit down. Uh, Richard, anything to update? Updates? Um, no, no, not really. I mean, like I said, uh, I was a guest on podcast City A this uh, last week and we had to talk to Azzurri. We had to talk a little bit of uh, City A in general. It was, it, was, it was a really fun talk there. Uh, I was on YouTube, so that was uh, something different, I guess, uh, for a podcast for us, or for me, I should say. Uh, make sure you give them a follow, too. You give them some love at, at B-L-U-R-1, or B-L-U-R-I-4. Uh, so that's Podcast City. Ah, and, then, you know, they can follow them on YouTube as well. So uh, other than that, you know, you can just find me at R underscore K-H-A-R-M-A-N. And if there are any listeners in Columbus, Ohio, while this is not Syria related, I will be in Columbus uh, next weekend. Um, on the 6th, 5th and 6th, so uh, reach out to me, DM me, and uh, maybe we can have a have a beer or something. Uh, so, yeah, that's it. Outstanding. And uh, I am at FTC underscore 21. Um, Seria Sit Down, we have our own channel on iTunes. We have our own channel on SoundCloud. We can be found on Stitcher. We can be found on Spotify. Just about any format that plays podcasts, uh, you can find us. Also, check out our YouTube channel where Richard uh, gives the goals of the week. Um, and I have stopped doing videos. <laughs> so, 
Um, <laughs> You're retired. Had, well, no, I just haven't had the time to sit down and do one. So, um, and I, you know, if I do get back to doing it, though, I'll say this: I'm going to do it just talking about singular topics and and maybe going on a little bit of a rant. I think I'm done doing the predicting stuff. So, um, but uh, but anyway, we can uh, we can probably do it that way or figure something out. So, uh, so check those out. Um, you know, uh, at Seria, sit down on Twitter or Instagram. Make sure you're giving us a follow, and uh, make sure uh, you keep listening in to us. And uh, any uh, ideas or any questions, uh, please by all means ask us, and we'll try to get it covered for the next podcast. Um, but we want to thank you for your listenership. Uh, for Richard, I'm Frank, and as always, be sure you're telling your paisans about us. Ciao. Mm-hmm.